Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're embarking on a journey that looks at an aspect of health that we often neglect. It's the area of financial health and healthy businesses. Many of you are part of uh, tribal corporations. You may own your own business. You may be working in some tribal enterprise, or you may be tuning in today. You're not a Native American, but you just enjoy American Indian living. Whatever your background is, we're going to be looking today at something that, I mean, it frustrates me. I'll just be honest with you. It sometimes seems to me that businesses are just clueless about what's really important as far as serving their customers. And we've got someone who's an expert, really, in this whole arena to help us look at this area make a difference in your corporations, places where you work. It's Janie Smith. Janie, it's great great to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much, David. Janie, you are the president of Smart Advantage Incorporated. Tell us a little bit about the company that you head. Yes, I have a small boutique consulting firm. Um, we're located in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, we serve clients uh, all over North America and uh, nationally and internationally. We're jumping on and off of airplanes. And uh, we, many, many years ago, I discovered that most businesses really don't know how to differentiate themselves. And so we, they end up uh, painting themselves into commodity corner. And then price becomes the tiebreaker on how I should choose where to buy, who to buy from. And so we've, we've begun oh, maybe 10 years ago helping businesses. We've done it in over 200 companies now helping them differentiate themselves and clearly answer the question, why should I buy from you? Now, you're not only running a successful company. You're also a popular keynote speaker on these topics, and you've got a couple of books out that really address this. Isn't that correct? Yes, that's funny. I wasn't one of those consultants who said, oh, I have to write a book because I need it for my business. I had case study after case study of successes and I, I just put on my yellow pad and my to-do list, you know, get busy, write the book, write the book. And I kept crossing it off as something I'm never going to get to. And then one day I ran into an old friend who was actually the senior editor for Forbes magazine in New York. I, I knew him from years ago. And I said, you know some writers, help me find somebody who can help me put this together. And um, he was a very accomplished writer, as you can imagine, writing for Forbes. He said, send me the material. And I did. And he said... I love this. Can I write it with you? And I was mm. so happy um, because I had an accomplished writer, and more importantly, he really understood the power of the work that, and the message we were putting out there. So the first book is Creating Competitive Advantage, and the companion book that followed up, it was uh, published um, three years ago, is Relevant Selling. Um, the first book is in its 16th printing. It just really keeps on keeps on selling nicely because every business owner, the tiniest one to the largest one, can benefit from the message. Well, that is tremendous. And you're going to actually help us master some of those principles in the hour or so that we have together. Is that correct? Yes, that's my goal. I hope I can. Okay, wonderful. So, Janie, where's the best place to start when we're looking at trying to help your company, your business, really meet the needs of the customers that you're trying to serve? 
Well, the, the best place to start is what is your message today? What are you saying, and what is the value of that message? So if I'm, if I'm presenting to a group of CEOs or key executives or salespeople, the first thing I will ask them is, what is your number one competitive advantage? You can give me whatever sales pitch you want, but what is that one thing that differentiates you? And I ask them to write it down. They write it down, and then I will say, okay, tell me if any of these following ten things that I'm going to put on the board are what you wrote down. And I will write down things like quality, good customer service, good people, knowledgeable, consistent, responsive, reputation. I said, how many of you wrote down one of these things or a word or two that is synonymous with? Ninety percent of the room agrees that that's what they wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I say, okay, so this is, these are referred to in my book as the ten most common responses. I've been asking this question for 15 years, and these are the ten most common responses. How does that possibly differentiate you? Mm. And I said, it's Smart Advantage, my company. We refer to that list as blah, blah, blah. Okay. It's cliched. It doesn't really differentiate. Now, let me just see if I'm remembering something correctly. I don't know if this was a press release from your company or not, but someone actually did a while ago send me a some type of promotional message that actually most of it just said blah, 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 blah. Is that you or just someone who's been influenced by your, uh, your yeah, thinking? Yeah, it's not me, but I think I have seen what you said. Uh, I, I have seen that. Somebody has used that. And um, it is pretty much how we are communicating today. We have so much marketing speak coming at us all day, we think nothing of turning it around and then sending it out to our customers and prospects. So basically what I hear you saying, Janie, is the kind of things that we think are differentiating us in the eyes of the public, the buying public, are really not at all. They're just the same old stuff that everyone's saying, and people just tune that message out. That's correct. And so what I explain is that when somebody says to me, well, our competitive advantage is quality, I'll go, okay, prove it. Your def- you know, If you say to me, we have good quality, your definition of good quality and my definition of good quality may be light years apart. Mm-hmm. I may have an entirely different standard than you. So tell me how you measure it. We have less than uh, half a percent of returns each year. Um, whatever it is that you use to measure quality, you have to quantify it. You have to be able to quantify it, and you have to be able to talk about it in the past tense. For example, don't say we will deliver within 24 hours. Say, for the last three years, we average a 98.7% on-time delivery. Because in business, past performance is the best indicator of future performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so actually, are you saying that those are powerful selling points then? I'm saying those things are powerful if you can quantify them and prove them. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to say we have good quality, but if you can say we have less than a half a percent of returns each year, that speaks to quality in a way that I will believe it's more credible. Our mantra at Smart Advantage is you need to be able to build confidence and minimize risk in the buying decision. When you build confidence and minimize risk in a buying decision, you minimize price as an issue every time. Hmm. If you don't do that, then price is the tiebreaker and everybody's a commodity. Okay. So build confidence and minimize risk for the purchaser. Correct. I, you know, the pro- 90% of our products and services are commodities. So it's not what you sell, rather how you sell. Do I sell? Do I deliver on time? Do I answer all calls within three minutes? 
I mean, within three rings? Do I have a technician at your site when your air conditioner breaks within an hour, two hours? What is it you can tell me that makes you stand out? Not just that you say you will have somebody there in two hours, but last year, of all the emergency calls on air conditioning, I'm making this one up, of course, we had technicians on site to remedy the emergency within three hours Mm -hmm. because that's our culture. That's what we make sure happens. That is a much more confidence builder than saying we have trained technicians and we handle all emergencies. Right? See the difference? No, definitely, definitely. So actually those ten common responses, there's nothing wrong with the message or the, the distinguishing aspect of the response, but it's just that people aren't quantifying it in a way that the consumer would have any confidence in the message. Exactly. So instead of saying our employees are well-trained or we have knowledgeable employees, you might say we've invested uh, uh, $50,000 in training our employees last year, and each of them has to undergo a minimum of 10 hours of training a quarter. Talk about what you've really invested in, and how can I be sure that they're actually knowledgeable? What's your investment in them so I get a better result as the customer? Well, let's talk about this in a very practical context. Probably if I were to look at the demographics of the American Indian living listenership, we would say a lot of the folks listening are working for someone else. Many are employers, but there's many small business owners, I'm sure, that are tuning into the show. When we talk about small businesses, we're often talking about people many times recently in the startup mode Maybe they've had several businesses that have failed. What often is not on the radar screen of someone starting their own business that relates to this very important topic that we're discussing? Yeah, so I get that question frequently when I do keynote speeches. It's what about the small guy? You know, I can really address this for a a little bit bigger company. The small company needs to talk about what they're bringing to the table. They don't have past experience. They can't say they've delivered on time, so they need to talk about what they're bringing to the table. I opened this business because I have, uh, what, 10 years experience, 20 years experience. Um, I may have waited tables my whole life, and now I've opened a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Well, I know what it is to serve people, Mm -hmm. and I have served over 10,000 customers a year. Uh, And and so you you have to piggyback on what you bring to the experience that will build credibility, that you do know what you're doing, that you're not just stepping into a brand-new fr- uh, enterprise that you know nothing about, and therefore I would be really taking a risk by buying from you. Okay. No, well, that is very interesting. So basically looking at things, again, the same idea, quantifying your past experience and building confidence in the people that you want to be your customer base. That's right. just going to give another a- example of a, a tour operator who sells to travel agents, who sells to travelers. And you have to be very careful because sometimes people are waving flags that aren't relevant. Um, that's why I wrote the second book, Relevant Selling, is this tour operator was bragging about, and you know, and, and deservedly so, that they won lots of awards in Travel and Leisure magazine and uh, National Geographic, but it wasn't a buying criteria. Mm. It wasn't what made somebody decide to, to buy tours from this company. So people who were going to the outback or the far reaches of the globe wanted to know that the person selling the, the destination had been there. They weren't just selling it to me because they read about it in a book. Mm-hmm. And so there's a big difference also between, you know, what experience you bring to the table and that experience that's most relevant to the 
So basically, there can be things that you can quantitate, but they're really irrelevant to uh-huh. the average customer. Yeah, so again, the second book, I really focused on that. Make sure you know what your customers value. It's not enough to, to be able to boast about the thing that you do well if nobody cares. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get a lot of pushback from this, and I hate saying it because it, it disappoints so many people. But we've done a fair amount of research, and a lot of small businesses love to tout the fact that they're a family business. Mm-hmm. It does not rate high at all in buying criteria. Mm. Uh, so it's risky to go out there and say we're second or third generation family business. It may be interesting, but it's not a buying criteria. It's not going to make me buy from you that more than the other guy. In most cases, not always. Mm-hmm. And so be careful about the flag you wave, what, what you're toting uh, to the public if it's not something they care about. You, you, you should ask your customers. You should test it with them. Well, you know that uh, we speak especially to issues in Indian country, and I know, of course, there is a significant Native population there in South Florida. I don't know. Have you done much consulting work with uh, tribal entities? No, I haven't. Some of my colleagues have, and they're very astute business people. They're quite successful. So I think the ones, at least that I've run across uh, secondhand, get this to a large extent, but like most businesses, aren't quite there with the uh, articulation of the message. Well, we want to look more at, uh, at those details, but before we step away just briefly, Janie, uh, for some who are just with us for this segment, they're interested in some of your resources. Is there one place to go on the Internet where they can access some of those things? Sure. Um, my website is SmartAdvantage, that's S-M-A-R-T, SmartAdvantage.com, and there's a lot of information there, including the first chapter of each book, is free for download. You can read the first chapters. It really does give you a sense of what we're talking about here quite well. Tremendous. So smartadvantage.com. I can go there. I can read the first chapter of Creating Competitive Advantage and uh, the first chapter of Relevant Selling as well. That's correct. What about other resources? Anything else on that website that would be of help? <clears throat> there are some uh, a few tools on there, but uh, there are a number of gosh, about a year's worth of blogs that address each and every one of these points we're making in short snippets that really will teach what we're talking about uh, if you go through each of the blogs, as well as a number of uh, TV interviews that will show up also. Fantastic. We're talking with Janie Smith, president of Smart Advantage Incorporated. We're going to be back with more things that can help you in your business, your tribal enterprise, whatever you're dealing with, help you really Meet those customers more effectively. I'm Dr. DeRose. We will be right back. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen... High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. 
If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and my special guest, Janie Smith. Janie, the president of Smart Advantage Incorporated. She's been working in the area of sales, marketing, management, consultancy, and uh, she's the author of a couple of books, Creating Competitive Advantage and Relevant Selling. She's bringing that wisdom to us on American Indian Living, and we're doing it because we realize that one of the things that impacts our health, the health of our communities, the health of our families, actually is what happens in the workplace. Janie, it seems like a lot of people spend a lot of money, a lot of energy trying to get messages out, trying to let people know about what they do in their corporation, and it seems like sometimes people just totally fail. Can you help us uh, talk to someone who may be considering uh, sponsoring American Indian Living? They want to get their name out as a sponsor, give out some kind of message about what they do. What kind of uh, things could they do right? What kind of things could they do wrong in radio messaging? Okay, that's a a really good question. One of the things that I noticed, uh, and I am so tuned into this because I've been doing this work for so many years, is that you don't want to message, if you've got 30 seconds or a 60-second spot, you want to make sure you're not throwing out a cliché because Mm. no one will remember it. You really want to talk about, in a very short time, that which you can deliver, have delivered to clients that stands out. You need a differentiator. It's not enough to say in a service business, if you're an accountant or have an accounting firm or a lawyer, to use the phrase, we're customer focused. Um, If you Google that, that'll come up about 9 million times. It is so overused that no one knows what it means anymore. Uh So if you want to say you're customer focused, what in your industry, in your business, does customer focus mean? Does it mean we return all calls? Does it mean we show up on time? Does it mean we have uh, accurate invoices? What does it mean that's so important to your customers that you can can get the hook in? Um, You know, we have one client who um, sells services. If your refrigerator breaks down or your your washing machine breaks 
down, and they actually time and keep track of how long it takes them to respond to an emergency call. That's the kind of thing that you need to be able to say. We're an air conditioning company. We get there within an hour. Um, if you're selling um, a service, accounting service or a legal service, what's your depth and breadth in an industry? I have one law firm that talks about um, we have more than 30 witnesses for forensic testifying than any other law firm in our city. Um, what specifically makes you stand out? If you don't lead with the thing that makes you stand out, then it won't catch people's attention. Hmm. And that's going to be true whether it's radio, television, print? Yes, and that's the other trick to the whole thing is to make sure whatever message you have, it is consistent. When we work with businesses, we will find that their website has one message, their brochure has another message, their um, giveaways, their flyers, whatever else they have is another message, and then their salespeople have something different altogether. And if you really want to succeed, you've got to have a consistent message across all mediums. So everyone is saying the same thing. We go into a company and we say, assemble your sales team, your marketing team, your management team. What's your number one competitive advantage? I have 15 people in the room. I get 15 different answers, Hmm. almost always. So think about how can the external market know what you're about if internally you don't have an agreement. And I don't care if you have two employees. You've got to be on the same page. Now, companies that have gone through a very deliberate process of coming up with a corporate vision and mission, are they more likely to give you answers that are not all over the place? Are those uh, workplaces more focused often on what they're doing for their customers? I'd like to say yes, but it's not true. Uh, They have their mission and their values, and they, they try to live by them. Not everybody can cite them, but more importantly, it doesn't have anything to do with their differentiator. Hmm. It should. In fact, the mission and vision should come from that which is most relevant to your customers. If your customers want to be sure that you are um, have, let's just say you have the inventory I need. I'm a small business, and I got to order inventory almost every day because I don't want to. I don't want to warehouse it. So I want to know that 99% of the most frequently ordered items are in stock at all times. Mm-hmm. That's going to give me confidence. That's the kind of message you want to make sure is consistently out there and everybody in your organization is living by it. And your mission and vision are built around delivering that because that's what your customer needs. Tell us some stories, Janie, about companies that you've consulted with maybe have helped them to hone their focus, whether it's the, the messaging they're giving, whether it's other things internally, and you've really seen some dramatic changes. Well, let me, let me tell you about a story that a lot of your listeners, I think, will relate to because we're all familiar with the product. When I first started playing with this, this whole concept of competitive advantage, I had a client. I was doing some other kind of work with them. And, you know, when you go into the restaurant and you're giving the restaurant pagers, it used to be a little square thing and now it's long. Uh-huh. The table will, will be ready when this thing lights up. Well, that was a client of mine, JTEC. They were the first manufacturer of that. These guys owned a restaurant in Florida. It was a hot spot. It was very crowded all the time. They hated it when people would leave because they wouldn't have a table for another hour. Mm. They went back to the garage and cobbled together the very first JTEC restaurant pager. They brought it to the restaurant. It helped keep business, but it had an unintended consequence. The unintended consequence was people would come over and say, hey, I own a restaurant. Where'd you buy that? I want that for my car dealer. Where do we buy these? These guys said, we didn't buy them. We made them. Good. If I give you an order, can you make them for us? 
Well, lo and behold, they go out, get some investment money, set up a small manufacturing plant, and they start making these things. They're selling them all over the country, and it's expanding. They had to get another investor, continue expanding, forget the restaurant. Well, lo and behold, they get this thing up and cranking, and they're selling like crazy, and along comes Motorola, which was the 800-pound gorilla in the pager world. Remember those stupid beepers we all used to wear? Right, right, right. So Motorola said, well, we're going to compete with this little company. So the, the CEO called me and he says, I don't know, we got the 800-pound gorilla breathing down our neck. What do we do now? So we went through this process, and we started looking at what could they say to build confidence and remove risk in the marketplace and keep the 800-pound gorilla out of their backyard, and we found it. And it was a very simple statement, and many of your listeners have something similar to this, and this was the statement. We, we told them, well, you make sure every single one of your customers and prospects hear this, and it was. Of the 50 major restaurant chains in North America, 100% of them are using our JTEC pagers. Hmm. It was massively successful. Uh, Motorola never entered the market. They now realize that this small manufacturer had almost all of the market and that it was so popular that even restaurants that had not yet had pagers were going to go with that one. So that's the kind of thing that, you know, so after listeners, you know, if you're a small company, who buys from you? If it's the top, you know, three three largest uh, manufacturers or the five uh, doctor's offices in my little community all use my product, who is it? What is it? How can you make a collective statement about who buys from you that will build confidence with another buyer? And for larger companies, there's huge opportunity for those kinds of statements. You know, one of the more difficult areas, I would say, where we talk about satisfying our customers, we might even call them clients, is in the service industry. And I know sometimes because, for example, American Indian Living is hold, is heard in many markets. It's heard in places where there may not be a lot of choice. I mean, it's possible someone listening right now. In fact, it's likely that many of the listeners are tuning in and one of the places they go to have their health needs met is a tribally owned clinic. It may be the only game in town. It seems there's a danger when a service provider feels like their customers, their clients, have no other options. It often seems that uh, it's easy to slip into a, a mode of not being as focused on the needs of their clients. And I'm not thinking of any particular tribal health center or any medical office. I'm just saying because I've been around the country and around the world, I see this phenomenon. Is that just uh, me looking through my jaundiced uh, physician's eyes, or is this a real problem? No, it, it is a real problem because what you just described is that clinic is that the only game in town is a monopoly. And when there is a monopoly and there is no competition, their competitive advantage is that we're the only game in town. And so if they view it that way, then they don't have to exceed at the other deliverables, such as patient care or timing or all of those things that we want so badly um, from our practitioners. They don't have to have it because they are the monopoly. And so it's real important in those kinds of communities to... Uh, shine a light on that and or get somebody, get you know, broaden the scope of availability because as soon as there's competition, as soon as some competition comes in, people start performing better. Um, I, you know, I, I'd love to quote Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett says, the businesses need to create a moat around themselves to keep competitors at bay. So if you've got a clinic who's not performing top-notch, then they're not creating a moat and they're opening the door for the next competitor. Hmm. 
So basically, there's two options. I mean, either you raise the bar just because you think that there's no one that can challenge you because you're creating really an environment where it is likely to really bring some competition in unless you're meeting the needs of your customers. Absolutely. That's true all the time. I mean, one of the stories I talk about in my book, not related to healthcare, but just making the point you just made, is remember Blockbuster, mm-hmm. how it was replaced by Netflix? Mm-hmm. They weren't meeting the needs of the, you know, the marketplace, and the new technology came in, and they're gone. And the same thing can happen in healthcare. And I think it will happen. I think that the public needs to be served. And if they can't, I mean, I don't know the communities you're talking about or the distances to the next town. I personally, I personally will drive myself to the next town from where I live because I think the health care is better there. Hmm. And when that starts happening to clinics like this, then they will have competition. Good point. Well, we got to step away again, Janie. We're talking with Janie Smith. Wherever you're coming from, today's show really helps look at some of these important business dynamics. We've got more coming up. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose, 
We're here in the second half of our show with Janie Smith. Janie, president of Smart Advantage Incorporated. Janie is also the author of a couple of books, Creating Competitive Advantage, her first book, and then the follow-up, Relevant Selling. Janie, before we dive uh, back into the dialogue, if some are just joining us, how could people get some information about those books? The books are both available on my website, smartadvantage.com. Of course, you can get them on Amazon as well. And by the way, both books are also audiobooks. If you're more likely to listen than read, they're also available that way. Great. Smartadvantage.com. That's your uh, the name of your company as well as your website, huh? That's correct. Okay. Janie, we've been spo- speaking about a problem that there is, it seems, it's a pervasive problem. It doesn't matter what type of business you're involved with. It seems that many times businesses are just clueless about what their customers really value. I, I mean, that's an impression that I've had as I've been a consumer. I've also been a, a small business owner, and I sometimes have people working for me that i trying to, to get through to them. Some things that I think are important that are important to the customers that they just seem that they're not thinking about. Is that just from my vantage point that this is a big issue, or do we really have data that customers are losing out when it comes to many businesses just simply not meeting their needs? Well, they're not only not meeting their needs, but they don't even know what to tell them that is important. Hmm. And let me tell you how I know this. In my first book, Creating Competitive Advantage, I have a chapter in there referred to as Dangerous Disparity. And the dangerous disparity is that which a company or a business thinks is important to their customer is not usually as important as they think. Hmm. So I got really intrigued by this because we were doing uh, market research, double-blind market research for our our clients. Um, Just double-blind means that the customer doesn't know who's asking, and the business owner doesn't get to know what uh, Joe, Jim, and Mary said, um, but rather gets quantitative data. Ninety-five percent of your customers value A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing that for years, and, and, and after seeing what I kept seeing, that's what made me write Relevant Selling, because every time we would test, for example, 20 buying attributes for a company, we would go back to our client company and say, okay, we know what your customers now value most. Before we tell you, why don't you, the management, marketing, sales team, guess, what do you think came in as the top three things? We have done that with over 200 companies of all sizes, and 90% guess wrong. Hmm. 90% of businesses, to oversimplify, are selling ABC when customers want DEF. And I'm not talking about the product or the service. I'm talking about what goes with it. You know, I gave you a couple of examples earlier. Don't tell me about your awards. Is a, is a tour operator, tell me about the knowledge of your destination specialists who are send, sending me to the outback. I want to know they really know the area. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm talking about. What do they really care about, and are you talking to them about that? And if you're not, not only not talking about it, but maybe you're not delivering it, using that tour operator example, if the thing they value is knowledge of destination specialists over awards, do each and every one of the destination specialists at this particular tour operator, have they traveled the globe? Can they cite the fact that they've been to over 500 uh, destinations, all of which they're presently selling, um, but they've been there over the years? That's the thing that, that the customers want to hear about, not about the award. Good for you, you won an award, but how does that help me in my buying decision? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, these are all customers 
of the company. You're talking with people who have already purchased from them. Is that correct or not? Yes. In fact, what we do is we divide the research in half. We want to talk to half of the people we research are existing customers, and the other half are prospects, people who have not bought. And another alarming thing we found out was that 75% of the time, your existing customers continue to buy from you and choose you for very different reasons than a prospect, somebody who's never bought from you. Hmm. Yet, most companies will use one marketing and sales message for everybody, and they really should be different. Give us an example. All right, so there's an IT company we worked with. One of the things they provided was extensive documentation on a system, and they loved to tell prospects about that, and they loved to brag about it to their customers. Well, the customers don't care anymore about the documentation because they've already figured it out and they've worked with this company before. Mm -hmm. But another company who may be using an IT infrastructure company will say, i got to have all the documentation in the world because I don't know you yet. I don't know that I can trust you yet. So there was a gigantic gap, a big disparity between the notion of selling the fact that we provide documentation. Once you have the prospect and they've worked with you, you don't need to keep pounding that home in your resale or retention message. So now how does someone, how does a company know this kind of information about their customers unless they have a consultant or do some kind of survey? Is that the only way they get this information? No, no. We, do, uh, we believe it's the gold standard to do double-blind market research, and we do it in 10- uh, to 12-minute telephone surveys. And a lot of companies can't afford it. They don't have the budget for it. So in my book, Relevant Selling, in Chapter 9, I list a whole bunch of different ways in which you can do it yourself, everything from an online survey to hiring a intern at a college. There's lots of ways that you can get customer data. But hmm. it's real important that you know seriously what your customers care about most in their buying decisions so you're not busy you know, doing the blah, 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 blah about something they don't care about. Mm -hmm, you want mm -hmm. to talk to them about, that's what a value proposition is. A value proposition is selling them something that is relevant, measurable, and relative to their alternative choices. Give us that list again. A good value proposition is what you deliver to a customer that is relevant, measurable. Remember earlier I talked about quantifying things? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And relative to their alternative choices. Mm, okay. So basically, it's not only got to be relevant to the customer, but when you look at the competition in the marketplace, you've got to differentiate yourself as well. Yes. Otherwise, it's all about price being the tiebreaker, and we never want price to be the tiebreaker. Perhaps in, in our last segment, we could talk a little bit about price, because I really want to go there and and make a case for your listeners to not feel like they have to cave in on price. If they can come up with differentiators, you know, they can definitely move away from, from the price objection. And I can talk a little bit, um, if you'd like, about the research we've seen on price. Well, let me give you an illustration. I'll, I'll tell you something from my own experience. I do a fair amount of speaking. Sometimes it's in classroom settings, uh, adult education. Other times it's for seminars. And some years ago, we started experimenting with price. Now, if someone's coming to hear me speak, they're already either deciding they like the messages that I'm giving or they don't. But we found that when we sell DVD and book products that 
that we produce, I, I run a company called Compass Health, we found that what would happen is we'd sell resources, but as we worked with different pricing strategies, we found something magical happened when things were half price. And we would sell four to five times as many books and DVDs when I offered them at half price. So you're not necessarily saying that that was a bad strategy, or are you saying that maybe I should have uh, given helped them see more value in the product so I wouldn't have had to cut the price as much? I'm just kind of asking a question. <laughs> yeah, of course, people always want to buy a bargain, mm-hmm. and people will buy more if they think they're getting a deal. There's definitely um, something to that. There's no question. But what I'm saying is that for a business owner um, who wants to maintain their margins and stay healthy, they 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 need to they need to not cave in on price too often. I, I'm sure that you know you in that case you could still afford to lower the price and still make a decent margin. And that's usually what happens in retail when we go into the store and everything's on sale, fifty percent off. The store is still making a lot of money. <laughs> uh-huh. There's no question. But what I'm talking about is the small business owner that thinks that I'm not going to get this customer unless I continue to lower my price. Mm. Um, our research shows that when testing price against 20 buying attributes in countless businesses, when it's double-blind, double-blind means they don't know what you asking, so there's no negotiation going on. Uh-huh. And they're telling the truth, so we're removing the bias. Testing 20 attributes, it comes in in the bottom 10. Hmm. It's not one, two, three, four, or 5. We have seen that repeatedly. Uh, when we ask in a survey, what's most important to you is open-ended, uh, about 40% will say price. Not 50, 60, or 70, but 40% on average say price. Uh-huh. Then we test about uh, 20 attributes, and then we ask again, what else is important to you? Now only about 10% say price. It's so funny. I was relaying that to a sales group, and a sales guy said to me, well, of course a lot less said it after you had them thinking about all those other things. I said, exactly my point. You need to have your customers thinking about those other things you do for them. Mm. What else do you bring to the table for them? You know, our mantra, and I can't drive this home enough, if you don't value what you bring to the customer, they won't value it either. Hmm. If you don't value what you bring to the customer, they won't value it either. That's right. What are those other uh, things that are so highly valued that often uh, exceed price? So, so this is a story about a manufacturer. This is a larger company, but it'll make the point. Larger company that manufactures surgical gloves. This is a, a worldwide company that I was working with a few years ago, and the story is in relevant selling. Um, they sold a surgical glove, and they were selling it at a premium, and they were losing market share because the salespeople said, we can't sell that glove at a 40% market share. It's a commodity. Everybody competes with us. But they had something, and they just didn't know how to value it. They had patented technology puncture indicator system. You're a doctor. Hey, mm-hmm. doc, how you get a hole in the glove in the middle of surgery, how quickly do you want to know? Right away. Right away. Our glove tells you within 12 seconds, three times faster than the net competitive glove. Well, okay, the salespeople said, we know that. We've been selling that. We've been telling the procurement managers at hospitals that all day long. We said, all right, well, let me give you a math problem. Show the procurement manager this math problem, and it was this. If that doctor gets HIV, hepatitis, a whole host of diseases in surgery, let me show you the cost of the hospital system. Line item after line item after line item. We came up with, this was in Britain at the time, 800,000 pounds, about $1.6 million cost of the hospital system. 
Now I say we're not even selling gloves, we're selling insurance. Hmm. So if you don't value what you bring to the customer, they won't value it either. It was simply by showing the hospital the value of this patented technology puncture indicator system. The same company gave away training. They would train the nurses and the doctors which gloves to don for which surgery. And um, they'd go out on site on hospitals and do this. And I'd say, how much training? How many hours a month? What's the rate of pay for these nurses? Um, and I came up with another number, 700,000 pounds of $1.4 million. I said, what do you charge the hospitals for this training? They said, nothing. I said, really? Do you tell the procurement managers that, yeah, you may cost more, but they're getting $1.4 million worth of training? No. If you don't value what you do for your customer, they mm. won't value it either. Most businesses are doing this all day long. They're giving stuff away, consulting, training, uh, all kinds of things that they haven't valued. Wow. These are important messages. I can see how they can make a difference in small businesses, in larger businesses. These are the kind of things that can make a difference on the financial end of the equation that's so important. We speak about tribal budgets. We speak about uh, budgets in your a home business. And these things have significant impact on physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. We've got more with Janie Smith coming up in our final segment. Don't go away. You don't want to miss Janie's final insights and some other information about how you can get some of her resources. Don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Janie Smith, my guest, she's the president of Smart Advantage Incorporated, popular author, keynote speaker. Janie, before we dive into more of the dialogue, I promised that we'd talk about how people can access your resources. We've talked about your books, but I know there's probably some people listening saying, wow, I'd love to be able to tap her brain and see if we can really uh, get some personalized help for us. Are you guys so booked at your company that you're not taking new clients? We're pretty booked. We're booking a few months out, but we certainly will take new clients and schedule calls in as needed. Um, we uh, we do everything from helping small businesses. We help them with um, if some companies say, "I just want the research. I just want to figure out what my customers want." We can do that. And larger companies engage us for a full year, and we help them all the way through their communication strategy and operational alignment. So there's a whole. Um, a whole host of services that we offer, and they're all described on the website, smartadvantage.com. And, uh, you know, everything from the smallest company on up, we, we've been able to help. It's really rewarding for us to see the growth that, that they get when they get their arms around being able to differentiate. Wonderful. So smartadvantage.com, whether I want your books, whether we want to look into uh, having you and your team help us on the business end, same place. Yeah, and the blogs on the website are a real easy read. A lot of them are fun, fun little pictures that go with them. But they're, they're brief messages that drive this point home for any business. Great. So the blogs are totally free, right? Yep, they're on the website. Okay, smartadvantage.com. Janie, we got to talk about a few more things because I know there's people that have been listening and they're trying to connect all the dots. I know one of the things that... Um, is valued in Indian country are tribal uh, crafts, you know, traditional handiwork, things of this nature. And I think the average First Nation person thinks, well, because I'm Native, I have a corner on that market. I, I have this talent that has been passed down for generations. Is that safe to assume, or could there be dangers in that too? Because we're, we're maybe looking even at a national market. Maybe they have their stuff available on the internet for sale, or maybe it's in a, a small shop uh, in an area close to where they live. Can you help us in that scenario? Well, that's a, that's a tough one. And when I get that question, I always, you know, I answer it this way: um, It doesn't matter what I think; it matters what their customers think. Mm. Um, their customers may say, "I want that." I want those crafts because they are so unique, because they are generations of um, of talent and artistic ability. And others may say, um, I don't really care where it comes from. I just buy it because I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't I can't speak to that message. But I always tell people, if if you're selling something and you think is unique, and you can make an only statement, I I always encourage businesses to find the only statement because that's at least a good differentiator. We're the only company or the only artist making this kind of jewelry or we're the only ones with using this stone or this technique, particularly if it is handed down generation. Mm-hmm. Try to try to look for the only statements in that kind of marketing, but there's usually more to it than that. And, and it may be depth and breadth of choice. I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
I, I mean, I don't know enough about that particular product, but I do know that you have to find out from the customer what they value in making the buying decision. And some, some, business, some businesses and something like jewelry, much of that is very subjective. Now, you already pointed us in a direction as far as having individual companies, small businesses, large businesses, get some of these insights in your book, Relevant Selling. Did I pick up that was Chapter 9 that deals with? Yes, Chapter 9 gives them a few different ways in which even the smallest business can get some help. Um, Small businesses don't have a budget for the market research I described. Mm -hmm. So go get an intern. Ask an intern at your, call the dean of marketing. Ask if you've got a market research student. Tell them what you want to accomplish. And the, the book will also describe for you the pros and cons of each method. Using an intern is a good way to get information, but the downside is they're inexperienced. They might not be asking the questions exactly in the right way or the right mm-hmm. order, so mm-hmm. you might want to get some help with designing the way the questions are being asked. There are some, some pros and cons of each method, but I always believe any way in which you ask for information is better than not asking for customer information. Well, now this brings up an interesting question because you've been speaking about this blinded method of, of ascertaining what customers really want. If a business owner actually asks a customer or prospective customer what their interests are, presumably they may not give full disclosure because you're the one asking them, right? Yes, it, it, that's correct. So the whole point of the blind is to remove the bias. The interviewer, the, the person who's conducting the interview, doesn't even know the company who's commissioned the research. Mm-hmm. The respondent doesn't know who's commissioned the research. And then the company who has commissioned it doesn't get to know what respondent A, B, and C said. He gets quantitative data. Mm-hmm. And it just so removes any bias. And that's why we find out where price really stands, because they're not in a negotiation. If you, the business owner, is asking, it's always going to be about price. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is it wrong for a business owner to ask things of their uh, customers? To ask? Um, no, 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 it's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's better if you can do it uh, by having someone else for you, but it's not wrong to ask. And if you're a small business and you're careful in how you ask the questions, you'll probably get some decent information. And is it more valuable to ask from those who purchase from you, or is it more valuable as far as uh, expanding your, uh, basically, market share to talk with those who don't buy from you? I mean, is it... Yeah, I think you need to do both. You want to know what your customers value so that you keep doing what it is they value, and you can message around what's important to them. But you also need to talk to people who have not purchased from you and say, what would make you buy from me? What is it... You know, if you buy from my competition, what is it about my competition that makes you want to go there instead of here? Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's important information. You can build not only your sales and marketing message around it, but you may operationally trip over something. I didn't know my competitor was offering that. I, I better I better think about offering that too or a version of it or do what he's doing and do it better than him or her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Janie, just imagine right now people listening to this show – there are very likely some who may be in a business, maybe it's a small business that they've started, maybe it's a larger business, and for various reasons, they're looking at really shutting their doors. Their volume, business volume is decreasing, they are downsizing, the funds are very tight. Uh, Is there ever a time 
where it's not a good investment to do market research. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't have the cash, running a business, cash is king. You've got to keep the you've got to keep the blood flowing, and so you don't spend money. But you can do these things in an inexpensive way. If they will read my book, Creating Competitive Advantage, even without doing the research, you will learn, and it's on page one hundred and uh, one hundred and one. The better ways to say some of the things you're saying now. Even that will give you a leg up in communicating better, even without the research. I'm not saying you have to do the research. You can go, I like to say you can go from advertising strengths. You know, strengths is we've got good quality, good customer service. It's generic to a differentiator, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, we deliver uh, on time for the last two years to a competitive advantage, touting that which is the most relevant. So it's stages. And if you can just say what you're saying today better, you already start defining a differentiator, and that'll help. And these things are significant enough that it can really turn a whole company around? I have seen it again and again. I've seen, a, I've seen small businesses uh, skyrocket, you know, two, leapfrog two and three places over several competitors because they got crystal clear on, these, on this messaging. Our clients, we went back and surveyed them. 87% of them have increased revenues or margins in the past three years. Wow. Any final uh, illustrations for us? I just think that both books, are loaded with actual case studies. They're real companies. You can even contact the companies. Every one of them is a real case study, shows what their message was before, how they went through the process, whether they did the research or not, and what the outcome was. The JTEC story I told earlier in this session about the uh, restaurant pager, Mm -hmm. they didn't do any research. They just touted that 100% of restaurant chains were using the JTEC pager to keep Motorola out of the marketplace back then in those days. So you don't always have to do research. You can just learn to start saying things better and more productively. Wow. Janie, you've shared with us so much great information. One more time, how does someone take advantage of your books and your other resources? Well, as I said, uh, the book's uh, first chapter is on my website for free, smartadvantage.com. And if you like reading the first chapter and you think it'll help, please buy the book. It's on Amazon. You know they always discount things. It's not terribly expensive. And it's available in an e-book and in an audio book. But that book, I, I hear from people all over the world. I get emails from people saying how it changed their businesses. I had a guy in uh, Croatia who had a small taxicab company. He said, I read your book over here, and it completely changed. It, here's my website. Look what I did. I followed wow. your, everything you said in the book, and it's really helped my business. So tremendous. even a small entrepreneur can be helped. The big companies, we do tremendous things with big companies that we're doing this process with. Janie, our time has uh, slipped away, but thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Dave. That's Janie Smith with SmartAdvantage.com. We've got to run. But as always, from all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.